Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Next Tech Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Bina Abdul-Rahim. And I'm Alicia Davis. Today's guest speaker is Tanika Askew. Um, She is a lady that provides many, many resources to her followers. Um, She is the founder of two nonprofits, um, Ribbons of Beauty and um, is it BIC Tech to mentor and advise high school students, um, entrepreneurs in North Carolina and DC. Um, So let's go ahead and welcome Tanika to the show. Um, and let her introduce herself, and um, we can go ahead and get started. Thank you, Alicia, for that lovely introduction. <laughs> um, you summed it up very well. I am just a lover of and passionate about um, providing resources to our communities because that was something that I remember missing when I was in college, and it just, once I got into more social media or um, networks, different networks, Mm -hmm. it became a lot easier for me to accelerate my career and my professional growth. So I'm super passionate about that because of that reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And other than that, um, yeah, it's been a really awesome year. Um, COVID has been taking a turn for so many different mm-hmm. people in so many different ways, but um, trying to maximize it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many great opportunities come out of this uh, p- professionally for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I intend to continue doing what I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. Now, I do have a question. So you're in the tech field um, and you're a data analyst. Um, what made you choose data analytics? Well, you know, I actually, my mom told me I was going to be a nurse. So <laughs> <laughs> um, she just told me I was going to be a doctor and nursing was the way to go first. So I tried that and ended up stumbling into data analytics because I just could not take the courses of, what is it, anatomy and physiology, Uh the human body, and learning about that. It was just so dull. Uh Um, Reading and rereading the text, I just, I was getting it, but it wasn't sticking. Gotcha. When I switched over into, I first switched over into computer science, and it was, it was a lot better. Like, I didn't mind staying up late at night in Python and figuring that out. But I stumbled into a um, management information system, which is now called information systems and analytics course. And that class, like I got it. It was just, it was just like coming to me so easily. Mm -hmm. It was challenging me in, in a different way. And I found myself working on it like late, late, late nights Mm-hmm. Um, going to sleep, having a four hours sleep, trying to make it to my 8 a.m. class. <laughs> and it was just like that course, those that course stuck. Mm-hmm. And gotcha. I wanted to learn more about 
um, databases and building systems and tools for organizations in college, I my like highlight of college was building a project from that MIS course, which I ended up switching into MIS mm-hmm. um, to help. I basically built a prototype to help people identify fraud in unemployment okay. by um, capturing like the location and information that people use in their claims um, in a database and setting up an algorithm to check it against some other things. Oh, wow. And it was really cool. And I, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. And it was just something different than sitting at a desk all day and just mm-hmm. being a software developer and coding and coding and coding. Right. Um, it gave me insight to the front end as well as the back end. And then I also got to talk to so many different individuals. And that is what really pushed me into data analytics, not just coding all day, but having mm-hmm. that moment where you can actually speak to someone about mm-hmm. what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think that really also helped. Now, now was that that class that you took, was that also help you spark your initial interest into the tech industry or was it just something else? Like what made you take that course? <laughs> My interest in tech came from <laughs> years and years <laughs> of my, I, w- I used to be on a computer as a kid. Um, I remember in high school making mixtapes from, what was oh, it, Livewire? Livewire, yeah. <laughs> and I love music. I love music. So I used to make mixtapes and sell them for $5 at school. Um <laughs> And I just thought I was doing the most. And then I learned about viruses, not knowing what I was doing. I was like, I need this computer. So I'm like Googling, Googling, trying to figure out how to fix it. Basically re-imaging computers, my computer over and over. My mom like took the computer court for me so many times. (laughs) I would go back to school and find the recycle bin of old old, um, computers and they just throw the cords away. So I would take a cord, she take the computer cord, I'd find another power cord. And every day she come home. Um, I try to be off it, but you know, a couple of times she caught me. But I didn't realize then that, you know, I was super interested being in AOL, trying to figure out AIM, re-imaging mm-hmm. the computers, downloading different softwares. Uh, I just knew that I thought I was gonna be a nurse, but a teacher kind of gave me that insight. <laughs> And asked me one day, like, what, you know, I'm helping her in her class. She's teaching us Excel and PowerPoint um, and struggling with, like, just basic technology. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hell, you, maybe you should click this and do that and blah, blah, blah. She's just like, you know, um, since you already completed your work for the semester, you know, maybe you should just come up here <laughs> and do this. And so she asked me one day why I was. Um, I asked her why she was teaching this class and she said, well, I had to teach this class because this was the only thing offered. I would teach uh, childhood education for something me. And I said, oh, okay. But she said, why are you doing nursing? I said, well, I'm going to be a doctor. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And she just was like, a doctor's cool, but I mean, you just seem like you would be in tech 
or mm-hmm. a tech related field. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I just told you I'm about to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you tell um, me something else. Right. And so she just gave me a view of it that was a little bit different. And it was crazy because a couple months later, I was in Savannah, Georgia, and I met this lady randomly um, at a fire fireworks for 4th of July. And she was just having all these issues with her phone. And she was a, a nurse and she was a social worker nurse. And then she went back to social work. And she, all in all, the conversation was very similar. Um, she's trying to record something. So I was telling her what to do. And she said, well, why are you going to school for nursing? I mean, that's a really good feel. Social work is good too, or psychology, but you just seem very techie. And I was like, you know, this just keeps coming up. So maybe I should look into this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I transferred out of my community college, went to my university um, and started in comp sci. And I was like, okay, I love this stuff. This is this is this is better than what I was doing. I'm not bored in class. Because, <laughs> um, you know, when you're bored, you start doing other stuff. So I'm like looking up. Uh, I'm listening to the instructor, but I'm looking up different things. I'm looking up. I'm still a, a music head. So I'm looking <laughs> up new songs and artists. So it was just different. Um. And I just kept going. And then when I got into my career, it's just something that pushes and motivates you daily. Like tech changes overnight. So you have to stay up to speed, stay up to date. So I like lo- I love the challenge of making sure that I'm always growing and continuing in my career by challenging myself daily. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just a, for me, it's just a way to, not only challenge myself, but also teach too, mm-hmm. because there's so many different areas of tech and you can give back by teaching the youth. You can teach um, college students as well. Mm-hmm. Everything you learn, you can reciprocate that in your community. And so I learn more when I teach as well. So I really enjoy doing that. But okay. yeah, so tech kind of, it was always in me. I just needed someone to kind of push it out of you, <laughs> push you to go yeah. actually go towards it. I gotcha. Yeah. I love, love, love your story. It like resonates with me as well. Um, so I love it. Um, now we talked about data and analytics. Um, for our audience, I would like to um, ask, what is a data analyst? Um, what are the basic requirements in becoming one? Um, so if you could discuss that just for anyone who wants to, you know, um, become one in future or wants to change um, career paths. Yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting. Um, data analysts became really, really hot uh, about five years ago because the trend is just going up. Mm-hmm. for data analysts. Um, data scientists and engineers were existed, but they did it, they weren't as popular. And they still they still aren't as popular as a data analyst um, because most companies 
have the need for a data analyst, not the need for a data scientist or a data engineer, because their level of data maturity isn't there. A data analyst, uh, and that reason is, is that a data analyst, the requirements for that role are a little bit more basic. So they're looking for people who can query data. They are looking for people who can find data um, and fit the data to their question. So mm-hmm. querying it, whether it's in SQL or Python or just basic Excel spreadsheets and putting it into a usable format for them to communicate it to their audience. So um, they look specifically for people who can present findings to businesses and leadership and know how to use different software and tools to examine data sets and draw conclusions, which is one of the reasons why, I mean, it's a really good field to jump into. I believe uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics quotes it at like 65, 70,000 as an entry level um, individual, and it goes all the way up to 120,000 because you can have so many different levels of data data as a data analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a role that's just growing way faster, much, much faster than the average um, the average outlook of other jobs too. Mm-hmm. So I believe I think a last look is like 25% faster than mm-hmm. it's an, it's definitely in the top of growing roles. Same thing, similar um, sentiment with uh, data engineers and data scientists. They're, they're not growing as fast, but um, that's because they're more specialized. Like when you're a data scientist, you need to know not just SQL, uh, Tableau and Power BI or mm-hmm. Python. You need to know um, specifically how to build models and algorithms. Like you need to know deep, a deeper knowledge of Python or R. And that's where deep learning comes in and neural mm-hmm. networks and um, applied maths and st- statistics. So that role is more specialized. So it doesn't grow as fast because a lot of companies, again, aren't at that level of maturity. And same thing with uh, data engineers as well. Um, Data engineers focus on most of the database side and how to get data from one system to another Mm -hmm. um, and what scripts or ETL procedures go with that. So how are they taking data? You have simple a lot of people don't realize they do simple data engineering when they use like a tableau or a python either but the really extensive data engineers are moving data from like large systems or oracle sap ibm system um between different databases and they they're creating these scripts with sql no sql hadoop python and those courses, um, the, that information that's required isn't mm-hmm. as extensive as a data scientist. It's good to have applied math, um, okay. but your knowledge is more on the data, um, DBA, database administrative side. Okay. Okay. So just to make sure I'm right. So the statistics um, part, that would be more so of the data scientist than an analyst, or would it kind of be equal? Statistics is really uh, heavily in data science, but gotcha. 
if you there is a level you'll start to see and I'm seeing this trend as well mm-hmm. where instead of um instead of there being a data analyst that people want a data analyst I'm starting to see like this quote unquote full stack data analyst role where they want someone with data the data analysis skill set with a touch of data scientists and a touch of data engineering um it's it's like a full wheelhouse honestly okay so i've i've definitely seen that grow a lot across time across the years uh i i don't know if it's just because you know it's it's what organizations can pay it's what mm-hmm. they scope out the role to be and they say well oh we just need someone who knows a little bit about forecasting we don't need everything a data scientist can do, but we we need somebody that knows predictive analytics. So they still call it a data analyst. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. What are some common problems that a data analyst can really face um, in their role? Uh, one thing I noticed, just talking to a lot of individuals, data analysts, uh, trying to learn multiple tools at the same time or trying to learn multiple languages at the same time. So Mm. stay on track. If you are going to learn SQL, learn it. Um, Stay on track with learning that until you at least become advanced enough to troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. We're going to Google stuff. Google isn't in us. (laughs) Gotcha. Being able to do it with minimum um, having to minimally Google research issues would mm-hmm. be really well before you switch into learning another language. Same thing with tools. If you're going to learn Power BI, uh, learn it and try to master it enough to where you're doing, you have to Google it, Google researcher issues at a minimal rate and then pick up a Tableau or a Data Studio or a Looker. So that's one of the biggest things I see that people face is trying to learn all of these tools and then also not building out their communication skills and their executive presentation. So if you can't communicate, because the data analyst really is front end with the front line of the communication. They t- Sometimes they take in the requirements and they do the work. So if you can't communicate to your stakeholders or your customers, um, what what they need and what you're producing. So you need to gather those requirements and you need to communicate to them what you built from those requirements. That's one of the biggest issues I see with a a data analyst. Um, Communication and just trying to learn a bunch of tools at once. And then anyone trying to get into the door, that usually is also very true as well. Now, for someone you mentioned tableau power bi um but for someone entering the field which one of these would you recommend both are really equally as powerful uh the differences are going to be um what the capabilities of the tools and the cost and the systems like um 
Tableau, you can use on Mac and OS. It's very popular. There is a free version that's available out there, um, but there is also a more extensive paid version. Tableau has a cost associated to it. Power BI, if uh, you're looking to learn and learn quickly, I think it's a really great tool with free training that Microsoft offers. They even have right now where you can get the certification for $15, um, and it's usually $165. So Power BI is a really good tool to pick up and learn with uh, minimal cost. So you learn data, you'll learn uh, the ETL processes in Power BI. Mm. You'll learn those processes in Power BI because you take data, you're pulling it in from a system, you then are doing your data transformations and then loading it to visualize. So though that end-to-end -end process is really good to know as a data analyst. Um, Tableau, the assumption is your data may already be good. So uh, now you have Tableau Prep out there, uh, which helps you do some of what Power BI is doing, which is um, doing your data transformation, pulling it in from a system, transforming it, and then it saves it to an extract file for you to load into Tableau Desktop. But Power BI, I think, is a really good tool to just start with because it's free. And um, it's I think it's really easy to pick up once you know Excel. But if but mm. if you are just now entering, try doing basic analyses in Excel. Like, do you know how to do pivot tables? Do you know how to bring data in Excel from other data sources? Uh, these are some basic things that we we kind of take advantage of when we look at Excel, but Excel is extremely powerful. But we don't, most people don't use the full functionality of Excel. Like most people don't know the same thing that you can do in Power BI or ETL, you can do in Excel. And Power Query was built in Excel first, and now it became um, a part of Power BI. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that, honestly, about mm -hmm. Excel and Power BI. So yep. let me ask you this. What are some things that you would really use Excel for? Like do, in your role right now, do you still use Excel or do you just use your other um, software like the Power, what it was, Power BI or Tableau? So there, okay, I use, <laughs> what's really interesting, I use all, all of them because okay. there is a, there, there are some things I could do very quickly. So there's like a monthly process where I have to do a report and the data is in a certain way. Um, mm -hmm. And I just need to copy and paste the, the data into a report. So what we ideally want to do is move that to a dashboard that connects to all of those systems. I use Power BI for that one because... It's easy, it's easy for me to copy and paste all of that data in and swap the spreadsheets out. I could probably do the same thing in, um, I could probably do the same thing in Tableau, but Power BI has it all in one system. So I don't have to use Tableau Prep, then uh, run it and then refresh it in Tableau Desktop. And Power BI I can just do it all in one. I just import the new sheet, like swap mm -hmm. the data and then hit refresh and I just start um, copy and pasting my statistics into the report. Okay. So Tableau, I use mainly 
because a lot of people don't know Power BI. So Tableau is used primarily for uh, dashboards that the organizations need to view and look at daily. And so I'm building dashboards on a couple in a couple different areas to help people understand the makeup of their their organization, like who's mm-hmm. working for you, what is their performance, how long have they been in the organization, how diverse is the organization, what are the trends on how long they're staying with your organization, what does attrition look like, especially attrition during COVID. Mm-hmm. So those, so I'm building dashboards around things like that to help people understand um, their organization and their people. But that's done in Tableau because that's a tool that the company acquired and they're used to. When you go into an organization like a federal agency, they they expect you to know Power BI because they require Power BI. Some mm. organizations have acquired uh, Tableau as well, but it's very highly that they already have Power BI, especially federal. Gotcha. Now I saw in your um on your Twitter page, um, part of your name also includes automation. Um, what are some of your favorite things that you like to automate? Um, it can be personal or professional. I think wait a minute, I think I want to go with personal. So what are some personal things <laughs> that you would like to actually or that you automate um daily? Um <laughs> So I have a um, notification system that I set up. So when I'm doing uh, working with different clients to do data analyses, like just for their businesses, um, basically Mm -hmm. a a lot of businesses, especially um, new founders, um, people who've been in the space that do that need a lot of information from Mm -hmm. their customers. Um, one of the things that I, I try to grow myself in as well is taking what I learned about automating my processes. So, for example, I personally um, read articles all the time and I try to automate the process of putting the data onto like a website or a platform. So, Right now, I have all these resources. I've never like stored them anywhere outside of Twitter, and mm-hmm. more every day, more and more people are like, "Well, do you? What was the thing that you shared about this or that?" And I'm like, "I don't remember. It was. <laughs> I don't know. I read so many different articles. So now, what I've done is, um, I'm trying to capture like what I'm reading and where I'm getting that information from. So basically, I'm automating the process of once I get that data and I like type in the resource, it updates to my website. Um, and then um, it puts everything into a nice list in a um, by deadline so that I know, okay, if I want to write about it, I need to write these things or about these things first into this bucket. Um, so I actually also automate now um, outside of personally, I automate a lot of uh, mm-hmm. m- my businesses that I work with. I automate the things I do in my work. <laughs> so uh, like I was telling you earlier, people, there's teams that do these reports. Uh, they were asking me how I was getting my report done so quickly. I'm like, I have a power <laughs> dashboard that I just refresh. 
Um, I don't do the analysis, the deep analysis, because we're doing the same thing month over month. Um, and there's a lot of automation you can do with sending out alerts and updates. People are sending out these alerts manually to say, hey, um, the new dashboard is up or the dashboard has been refreshed or the data has been loaded. I try to automate that as much as possible because mm-hmm. you want to leave time to devote to the work that really, really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make sure that we have alerts set up for if we hit a certain threshold, um, send an alert, send an email. When the data is refreshed, send an alert or email letting everyone know that um, the data has been updated on them as per the monthly schedule, you know, and the dashboard has been loaded and correct and checked. So those are really helpful for you when you are starting out because you'll spend a lot of time on the communication part, on on a lot of the communication pieces around um, dashboards and and analyses when you're trying to communicate it to your audience. So if it's something that's going to be done and you're noticing it's done on a regular cadence, figure out how to maximize that cadence and how to automate alerts and things that are sent out. I mean, you can even start with, if you're not super advanced, like I started with doing alerts from SharePoint. Then I started with doing alerts and notifications um, out of the Power BI server. So basically taking in data, set up a process to automate the data that comes in, um, set up the alert, send the email. If you don't have that available, just again, take advantage of tools like Zapier where you can set triggers and alerts as well. And it can send you notifications. Another really cool tool is IFTTT, if this, then that. Um, That tool as well can send out alerts and notifications in many forms too. Oh, wow. There is a lot that you can really do with automation. Um, I know that Bina had um, told us about a Google course that she was taking. I also signed up for that as well. Um, It's using Python. And when I tell you that it is a lot that you can automate, um, including Zapier as well. I was introduced to Zapier when we were um, on a hiatus in between season one and season two, and we were trying to figure out how um, different ways to really automate um, our processes for the podcast. And Zapier has came in handy with a lot of things. But then at the same time, I also kind of wanted to learn how to automate things on my own um, and not just have to always depend on Zapier. Um, just kind of yeah, start off, but. Too. Right. But there is a lot that you can really automate. And it is a if you could really learn how to do that, it is something that I definitely recommend because it is it is a good thing to have, especially if you're a small business owner, entrepreneur, anything of that nature. It is it it can really be helpful. But I do want to ask you, what are some challenges um, you have faced as a young professional black female in tech? So (laughs) let's start with education. (laughs) Going into tech, um, especially as a woman and a black woman at that, Mm -hmm. you enter into these Mm -hmm. classrooms where there's not a lot of people that look like you. So they don't think like you and they're, 
when you think differently, um, people question it. So even in college, I'm working, I'm in a class. Uh, there's two women, one drops, I'm left. And I, when we do, we're doing class projects, I have to work with some men on this. Men who think I don't know what I'm doing. Men who think because I ask additional follow-up questions that I don't understand the content. And I think that is mm-hmm. where we understand, where I, imposter syndrome come in, came in. And I went through it and it took for, again, that instructor in that MIS course, because he had so much faith and value in what I was doing that I valued it more myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not relying upon my teammates who are kind of like, well, what are you going to bring to this project? Uh, the same thing you're going to find your experience and your knowledge. Right. <laughs> um, like, what do you mean? Exactly. But there's, I mean, there were so many women that I, were meet, I was meeting as I was doing interviews for different companies and jobs and um, for my career where I found that they had similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And it was because we were being questioned about our knowledge and our expertise. And being a woman in a, a woman in who codes wasn't mm-hmm. really big back then. So mm-hmm. now, you know, there are women coders everywhere and you can see them, you can Google them, you can YouTube and find a woman who codes and follow her and her path and be so inspired and motivated. But back then it was very hard. And mm-hmm. it just, for me, it just pushed me to want to do more because these, these men in class were just so <laughs> reluctant to work with me or they made it hard. Even when we had class assignments to work with me. Um, and it's just something you don't want to deal with. And I wouldn't, I just, ugh, I wouldn't recommend, um, anyone to just say, you know what, I'm just going to drop. I think mm-hmm. stick it out and push through because mm-hmm. the same thing will happen. If you, if you don't learn how to deal with it, then in college, you won't know how to deal with it in your career and exactly. in your career it's just uh, it's seen differently. So in your career, you're just, you're working on a team where they're relying on your expertise. You've made it, but imposter syndrome still happens because you're, mm-hmm. you're going to be around people who are just as smart as you. And so now your knowledge is challenged in a different way. And you have to figure out how to continuously learn and grow yourself. Uh, and then you have to advocate for yourself as well, because nobody's going to advocate for you like you will. Exactly. With your um, nonprofits that you have, with your mentoring um, and advising the young students, I'm pretty sure that you also offer this advice or information to them as well, but what other information or advice do you also give them um, as being a seasoned woman in your field? I tell them, <laughs> parents probably hate this, and I know some parents hate this, but <laughs> your parents uh-huh. can only take you as far as they've gone sometimes. I tell them that. So if you have, if your parents have hit, for example, my mother knew about nursing and been a doctor. So she knew what she knew. Mm-hmm. So she told me what she knew as being this great career field. And that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. 
there wasn't, um, she exposed me to opportunities in the medical field. Uh, I ended up working in the pharmacy as a unpaid, as an unpaid intern when I was very, very young. Um, I think it was my freshman year. And I thought that that role was good, but the math in that role, I hate math, but it was different. So it was, it exposed me to a different level of it, but she knew about the medical field. I, we didn't know anyone in tech. I didn't know anyone in tech when I was younger. I didn't know anyone who had a tech career. So I didn't know anything about that until college. So your parents sometimes can only give you the information that they're aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good if you have parents that allow you to be in programs or get mentoring and advice from others, because that exposes you to a different uh, a different area of knowledge that you ha- you had never heard of, seen, or done before. So that's why, like with Ribbons of Beauty, what I did was take students to different campuses. I exposed them to different careers. I'd let the, I um, found different ways for them to shadow individuals in their career because in high school, that's a pivotal moment for you to figure out what you're doing once you go to college. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to college, it may change again, but it's really good to know that a doctor, lawyer, engineer isn't the only path to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that advice is something that I always instill in everyone. And then also think about what you like to do when you don't have anything to do and you're just doing it and doing it and doing it. That's probably what you're passionate about. So pursue your passion and the money will come. Mm-hmm. Best advice ever. I love it. I do. Um, this goes for foreign people as well because we just push I mean, honestly, my parents just pushed me into medical field, medical field, like, and then ended up in tech. <laughs> Pretty sure they're not disappointed, though. <laughs> um, in regards to um, this year, uh, it's been crazy. It's definitely one for the books. Um, after many years of services, um, some companies are only just now getting on board with actively encouraging a more diverse employee base. What are your thoughts on these companies changing their diversity um, strategies after this year's event? It needed to happen. I think it needed to happen. And it's unfortunate that it took such a nationwide nationwide event Mm -hmm. and a pandemic for this to happen. Right, right. Uh, I think the pandemic has allowed what had been happening previously mm-hmm. to be exposed quickly. Oh yeah. Because we're sitting at home and because information information comes at us in all forms. Um when we were going to work, we may hear it on the radio, on the news, we may see it on social media, we may hear it at work, we may not hear it at work. Um we people are talking about it. But when you're in, I think the pandemic has just forced that information to come out faster because there's more people talking about it in different forms, socially, as well as um, the red, like the radios, these new cast, news uh, podcasts. Um, there is no way to avoid it, and I think 
this has been a very pivotal moment for a lot of companies to really showcase how they're going to help the Black community, how they're going to help underrepresented individuals Mm -hmm. exceed in their company. And I would be interested to see where these uh, statements lie in two to three Mm -hmm. years, because that's where it's really going to be a challenge. You said this three years ago. I mean, Google can scrape something off the internet very quickly if they wanted to. Right. So is this still going to exist? Is your statement still going to be there? Are are you meeting what you said you were going to do? It's extremely hard. I mean, Microsoft is going through this right now where you have people challenging their statement. Well, you said you're going to bring in um, more Black employees. That's reverse or reverse racism. So what does that mean for an organization? They have to have a really powerful legal team to challenge that. These companies are being challenged and some companies are taking a long time to make statement because they're watching these other companies being challenged. But it's just hindering the advancement of so many individuals. And I think it's unfortunate that it had to happen this way, but I'm glad that this is the time that these organizations have um made statements and it needed to happen because we our growth in tech isn't just started by entering the field our Mm -hmm. growth is stunted we we're hindered when we get into the field i had someone in my career pigeonhole me into being a tester Mm -hmm. and she Mm -hmm. did that for so long and her herself i'm like you are a woman who advocates for women in tech how are you, you're advocating, but what you're doing and what you're saying is not the same. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn from that. I can't make someone be better. They have to be want better for themselves. And I have to learn how to find my exit. But I was trying to make it work because that's what women do. We try to make it work. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it wasn't going to work. Wow. <laughs> <No matter laughs> what I, did, I had to learn that it wasn't going to work, but you know. Um, I think this is a career pivoting moment for a lot of individuals to say, I don't want to work for a company that does this. I want to work for a company that aligns more to my morals and values and they've taken exits. And now I, I think it's definitely commemorable. Wow. This is definitely, um, I guess how you can say I'm skeptical just because it's taken this many years for a lot of companies to finally decide to have this topic of discussion. And it's it's being made after negative events. And I just, I, I hate that that is the case. I mean, yes, I like that they're actually having the conversation, but then like you also said, how, where is the company going to be? Are you still going to be standing on this statement two or three years from now? Because how can you really advocate for diversity if you're not really making changes within your upper management? Like, I feel like if, if you still have the same, um, recruiters or the same person over diversity as you did beforehand (laughs) how can they really how can they really advocate for you having more diverse people like I I, that's that's something I really don't understand at the same time so like you're making the statement but are you actually actively right now making those changes because if you if I see the changes like two or three years from now like what what have you been doing since then like I don't know it's just one of those what 
the one thing that bothers me though is that they will create a new role called chief of diversity and put someone you know in that (laughs) position and call it done you know that's one thing we like we need to call out those companies that they are doing stuff like that um because it's not acceptable as well why chief of diversity why not ceo so you have to have you know i do okay i think that there's levels because i worked at a company where the level of diversity we we didn't have a cdo so the 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 leader in diversity so our the highest level was basically the senior manager what I learned from that is a CDO was needed because the senior manager could not advocate at the level that the VPs were talking on. So the senior manager is sending what she needs to the talent officer, but the talent officer has to talk about various aspects of talent and diversity is just one piece. So because there was no CDO, there's no one to advocate at the VP level. Mm-hmm. So, when you're putting these individuals in these positions, like Vina said, there needs to be someone at, at that same level of playing field mm-hmm. who can make and enforce decisions. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, these companies that are doing, like you said, they're they're making these statements. Some of them are being sued, paying the millions of dollars, saying they're going to do this. But I'm like, did they actually fire anyone? <laughs> because people's your mindset, it takes a lot for a mindset to change your mindset shift. That if they've been doing this for years, exactly. how are you gonna ensure that they're not gonna do it again? You're just gonna pay these millions and millions of dollars. And we've seen so many lawsuits come out. There was one last week, uh it was a retailer. And I'm just sitting here reading it and I'm talking with uh my friend who's in recruiting and she's like yeah, I think they have the same recruiting team. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that's what I mean, because, like, if you don't really have anything going on right now, like, how how long is this really going to last? Is this going to is this like a five year plan for the company? Like, are you just having in your mind so that, OK, we need to hire this many like already companies already have that goal. We They need to hire this many of um non-white non-black for their employer list and i mean employee list so like is this just a five-year goal for some of them or this like an indefinite thing because i mean this is like you said the mindset is it's it's outrageous and it's been years of this but i don't know i'm just i'm glad that we had this conversation and it actually is happening now um around the world uh within the united states for us but it's definitely i feel like change is definitely, definitely. is definitely people, here and it's people coming. People have spoken and I don't think they're ever going to stay quiet again. Um, and that's great because we need more outspoken people for events, mm-hmm. any type of events that are, that are going on um, in the society that we're scared to speak out because we might lose our job or something might happen. Mm-hmm. We might, it's in the era of social media, I think this is the best thing that could have happened. Right. Just like I had read on Twitter, like how Beyonce finds a a plethora of black dancers, (laughs) black entertainers. Like, how can she find all of these 
in this short period of time, but you, the companies have been doing this for years and y'all can't find at least five. You tell oh. me you're finding shortage of talent, but then it's always people of color graduating <laughs> with highest degree, with more degrees, well-educated, talented. Um, they are, they are. I know, arguing with me on Twitter. I'm like, the facts is the facts that women, black women ha- are earning the degrees, but we, don't get the roles. We're not paid when we do get the roles. Right. <laughs> you say we we aren't the pipeline. We're not in the pipeline because we there. The issue is you need to figure out how to come to us. Um, you need to figure out how to advertise better. You need to be more inclusive in your language on your website. Your website, if I have interviewed for so many companies, the first thing I do is look at their website and the leadership team. Yep. <laughs> Then I go look at their pictures of their employees and the engagement and what they're doing, what they're like, I'm doing extensive research of any company I look at. And I'm like, <sighs> I sigh every time because it's very rarely where you will see companies that are so diverse. Um, Booz Allen and Deloitte for me in the federal space was very diverse. When you look at Deloitte overall, of course, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit different. But when I'm, I was in the federal space and both of those companies um, it was so easy for me to find people that look like me because I was in DC mm-hmm. mm. and in DC it's, it's extremely diverse. Um, your talent there is diverse. And I noticed that they were hiring a diverse set of individuals. I was making so much money on referrals because I advocate for people. What? So you need more people, sourcers, recruiters who are going to be willing to advocate for that talent that's out there not sources with bias because that's what happens a lot the people who they're they're, um there's a gateway Mm -hmm. um the individuals bringing people in for interviews the recruiters you need to make sure that there is no bias or unconscious bias in that process because otherwise you won't see any individuals who are diverse because of that i've seen companies have that issue and they're still struggling with that issue. So you have to put in metrics and targets for people because otherwise they won't get it. True. True. But that's what's an issue right now. Now companies are saying we are going to have X percent of diversity and X percent is going to be black and X percent percent is going to be women and X percent is going to be Hispanic and Latinx. Like they're putting those targets in place. And now it's it's sad, but you see people challenging them as well. This is reverse racism. And no, mm-hmm. it's making sure that the individuals who weren't there mm-hmm. are getting there. Yeah. Right. If your pool of candidates right now is 90% white and Asian, oh, that means that you're not targeting a diverse audience or you're not advertising your language on your website isn't inclusive enough your job posts aren't inclusive enough you mm-hmm. need to really refine your processes for um talent there you go we can talk about this all day because it is definitely a touchy subject it's like one of those like we can i still have a lot to say <laughs> but i'll just leave it at that um <laughs> We're getting to the end points. But on that note, I think that this was a great episode. Uh, we really appreciate your feedback on the diversity channel there, as well as the information that you provided to us. 
we appreciate you being on the show and agreeing to be a guest on the show. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we end the episode, Tanika? Um, one of the questions you sent me was about having a mentor. And I wanted to say, I definitely think everyone should seek out a mentor. There's a difference between mentor, a coach, and a sponsor. Um, but a mentor is can also serve as your coach and your sponsor. But having that person that's there to help guide you along the way, I didn't have that. I made a lot of mistakes, tripped and fell a lot. Uh, I didn't really secure a mentor until I got into college. And I wish I had someone um, like me in high school mentoring these high school girls because it really does make an impact on your life and your career. And I've seen it so many different ways. And I, I think for me, it's I'm a little bit more humble about it, but it's it's. I think it should be mandatory, honestly, because we're, it's hard for us to get into these spaces, mm-hmm. but what makes it easier is when you can, when you have someone who's there that's guiding you and letting you know, look, it's okay to make these mistakes. These are career growing mistakes. Mm-hmm. You needed to make this mistake to get to where you are today. And, or these, these are some mistakes that you should avoid mm-hmm. um, making by doing this. So look for those programs that have mentors and advocates. There's a lot of people who are being asked to be a mentor today. Make sure you're coming to the table with what you want to get out of that mentorship before just asking someone to be your mentor as well. And be reciprocal. A lot of my mentors, I'm working with them too. I'm giving them advice on a different level of playing field that they that they um, need from me mm-hmm. or would love to have from me that they just don't get on a um, daily basis so the things that we learn you could be younger you could be a little less experienced and still make an impact on your mentor I remember my first um one of my first mentors when I got into the career she didn't know how to do the what was well I think now it's like TikToks I don't remember what was it vines or oh so um, it was some some form of social media some form of social media and I was like, oh, you just need to make a video, put it on this platform, and then you can link it everywhere. So she was just like, how do you do that? Just small things like that mm-hmm. were super impactful for her because she was trying to figure that out for weeks. And I'm just <laughs> like, you just need to put the video on this platform, and then you put the music on it, and then you're good to go. Um, so find a mentor. A lot of the mentors you'll also find there are people you're probably working with right now or people you're talking to and ask them questions, ask them about their career, where they're going, figure out ways that you can help them as as well as um, get feedback and advice from them too. So I'll leave All right. Well, we'll leave that there. Again, Tanika, thank you for being a guest on the show. And to our audience, thank you for listening. Catch us on the next episode. We're out.